what the world is sort of seeing is that we have about 4000 deaths every day but that's not the case like i think we have at least about 20 25000 people dying every day it's being underreported um the people of india are living in a delusion this week on dirty linen we are heading to one of my favorite countries in the world that has been on my mind so much recently and that is india uh india is suffering so terribly with a horrible coronavirus wave and i know that australia and india feel very connected um in lots of ways i know that i certainly feel really connected to lots of people in india and i've just fallen in love with india over and over again not least because of the incredibly varied and exciting cuisine But today we are heading to Goa. We are talking to Suchint Kaur Dillon. Uh she's also known as Susie and so is her restaurant. Or her restaurant is called Susie's. It's in a little village of Asagao in Goa. Susie, welcome to Dirty Linen. Hi Danny. I'm really grateful to you for coming along to have a chat to us today, especially as I feel like everyone in india and everyone who knows anyone in india is um really feeling the situation right now. Yeah, it's quite a heavy situation like anybody you know um or you talk to has at least four or five people within their circle that are positive or are facing this whole virus and um having to deal with the situation. So what is it like in Goa right now? What's the situation? Um well, we have about I think 60% of our population is positive. Um people uh, we i live in a village my restaurant is in a small village asagao so there's other small villages around um, they're all little villages and the panchayats run the village so the head of the village actually sort of uh, the heads of all these different villages decided to go into lockdown because uh, rcm um, felt that we don't really need a lockdown right now but um, i think the people living here realize that anybody they're talking to is either positive or has somebody that's positive and then you know you realize that wow it is out of control so you start staying indoors and that's what we initially did and then after all this uh, um people managing the villages the sarpanch decided to sort of go into lockdown the cm had no choice but to declare a lockdown because people were doing it regardless you know So the CM is basically the leader of the state, is it? Yeah, he's the leader of the state. Right. That must be I mean, I know in Australia, you know, we've had our lockdowns, we've had different levels of government bickering and, you know, wanting to go in different directions, and we didn't really have it that bad. I I I can only imagine it must be so frustrating and and distressing and exhausting to have those um that lack of clarity and consistency from your leaders. Yeah, I mean, they just don't know what to do, you know. It's more about uh, politics as opposed to trying to save lives or sort of manage the catastrophe that they've created, you know. Um RCM is basically from the ruling party, so they're quite arrogant and they don't really want to accept the fact that they've sort of made a blunder by not being able to manage this and uh, so they can't openly come out and say hey we need to go into a lockdown hey this is important hey you got to do this because doing any of those things hurts them politically so it, they're all just going about saying that oh we don't need a lockdown it's our last resort we need our economy to come back up but it's only going to come back up if you have people living you know it's really quite sad 
Yeah, it's desperate situation. Um, I mean, a sixty percent positive rate is just really. I'm finding that really hard to wrap my mind around. Um, it's just so shocking. And of course, from that many positive cases, people are getting sick and people are dying. Yeah, and there's no, you know, there's lack of beds, there's lack of oxygen, there's lack. I mean, there's lack of an infrastructure to sort of help manage this. The people who are privileged and have a bit of money are able to sort of figure some things out, but even their connections are not working anymore, you know, because you don't have the equipment to sort of deal with it. Uh, so any amount of phone calls or sort of favors that you want to ask are also not working. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess there are India is a really stratified society. Some people, you know, would I suppose don't have those people that they could call upon. They were already doing it really tough it's interesting that something like a pandemic has I guess in us in some ways almost been a bit of an equalizer yeah for sure it's uh it's definitely an equalizer because I mean that's what I'm that's the point I'm trying to make because um there was a headline the other day I think in the Hindu and it said that uh, India is what happens when rich people don't vote or rich people don't do anything and which is really true you know because like all the people that are privileged always assume that oh it's India we'll make a phone call or we'll ask somebody we'll get a favor and you know we'll be okay and so you don't really bother about anything else but like now it's basically everyone's the same and like this is what you realize by the end of it or everyone realizes you know people that are differentiating because of caste or religion or any such thing or have been doing that in their lives have now come to realize that none of it matters you're all just you by the end of it you know wow yeah it's i guess when it's it's a it's equalizing not in a positive way i suppose yeah, everyone realizes that they need to breathe with their lungs and sometimes they need help. And if there's no oxygen, then yeah, it's going to be hard no matter how rich or poor you are. Yeah, I mean, it's equalizing. And um, I also see a little bit of a silver lining in this because the current government, their propaganda is to sort of pro- promote Hindu Tova and the Hindu culture and all of those things. But we are a country with like, so many different religions you know and like each and people devote their lives to their religions and having experienced this and realizing that you know people that are helping are not from your religion or from a different religion or maybe from your religion but everyone's helping each other and you know all those things are happening so that sort of divide that the government was trying to create uh, by gaining votes from Hindu people and not letting the Muslims or the Sikh or the Parsi be part of that you know that is it's also a blow in their face because people now realize that the hindus that were asking for a hindu vote are nowhere to be found anymore when you need an oxygen cylinder or you need a concentrator or you need a bed in the hospital Mm. i mean it's interesting that you say that they refuse to go official or say officially that you need a lockdown because it will play bad politically but when everybody knows a number of people that are COVID positive or perhaps it's COVID positive themselves. I mean, it's hard to imagine that political message cutting through. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Uh, when you have, when you heard of what's happening in Delhi and you know what's happening in India with the cases going up like this, I mean, they're sort of, uh, what the world is sort of seeing is that we have about 4,000 deaths every day. You know, we our cases have gone up to about... Uh, two lakhs or some, uh, I mean, closer to three lakhs now. And, but that's not 
the case. Like, I think we have at least about 20, 25,000 people dying every day. It's being underreported. Um, if you're actually going out and most of the Indian news is sort of, uh, they have a propaganda, they're pro-government. And the only genuine news you get is on the wire, the print or international media that's a little bit covering it. But other than that, the people of India are living in a delusion. People who don't have access to the right information or who are not educated, who don't, who realize, I mean, the educated few realize that, okay, they want genuine news. So they go on to proper news platforms to sort of get real-time information. But the others who have no access to any of this um, are just listening to what the news channels on TV have to say. And then they believe that. And that's what it comes down to by the end of it. Mm. But I mean, I also, I mean, I know so much less about it than you do and I'm at this great distance um, and I'm not following it as closely as you are, but even everybody that I've spoken to who's got um, family in India, they know numerous people that have died and India is such a big country, it seems inconceivable that the reported death rate would be, it just doesn't seem to account for all the the people that are, that know people that are no longer with us. It's, I think you must be, you must be right. Like it must be at least 25,000 people a day. That's just devastating. Um, Susie, what about vaccinations? Is, is that happening at any sort of scale? Well, vaccinations, um, they have sort of, they did start off this whole uh, vaccination drive where they were getting everybody vaccinated, but like everything else, they didn't have this planned as well. You know, I mean, it's hard for me to believe that they could do this. I mean, you, you, you've started a vaccination drive and then you run out of vaccines. Do you not know the number of people in your country? Do you not know the number of people in every village? Is it not your responsibility to carry those many vaccines or have those many vaccines available if you've started a vaccination drive? You know, um, the drive was started, but then they're out of vaccines. They don't have any vaccines. And then there's countries that are helping you sending vaccines and then and oxygen cylinders, concentrators, but they're nowhere to be found because they're stuck in customs because now the customs officer has suddenly decided that, oh, we need to do everything properly, you know, because the news is following us. I mean, on at a time like this, they really want to follow all their rules, but otherwise nobody really cares. So I don't, I mean, um, people are trying to get vaccinated. I've also sort of um, registered to get vaccinated and I get uh, notifications, but um, there's still no vaccines in my area, so I'm not able to go and get it done. There is vaccines in the private hospital, which is about 45 minutes away, but they're charging you um, 1,500 rupees for a vaccine, which is fine. I mean, I can afford it, but not everybody can afford that. A friend of mine actually registered for one of those and uh, went to the hospital to get vaccinated. And for some reason, she got the date wrong. And uh, they told her that, oh, your vaccination was, you were registered yesterday, so you missed your slot. She says, well, I'm sorry, I didn't realize it, but I've uh, come and, you know, um, I've paid for my vaccination and I've made it to you guys. And this is after waiting for four four hours at the hospital. She, they've, they refuse to give her a vaccine. I mean, I don't understand what's going on. I'm even even after paying for a vaccine, okay, like if they say that she booked it a day before and she came the day after, but we're in a lockdown, this chaos, people are not in the right frame of mind. The idea is to get as many people as you can vaccinated. And when a person does show up, they turn around and say that, oh, you missed your appointment, so you we can't vaccinate you. So you have to re-register, repay, and then show up 
if you can. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't sound very satisfactory at all. Um, Susie, the last time we were in touch, it was August, and at that time, things in Goa seemed not too bad. Um, people in India weren't able to travel overseas, but a lot of people from the big cities were traveling to Goa instead, and you were sort of very carefully welcoming them to your restaurant. I mean, what have the ups and downs of the last 18 months been for you? Well, when we spoke last, Danny, uh, we spoke after like a four-month lockdown had finally opened up and, you know, people had been stuck in cities and their houses and all of that. So they wanted to get out. They wanted a holiday. They needed to get out. Goa is one of those places in the country where you come and relax and have a good time. Uh, it The economy thrives on tourism so the cm allowed opened its borders and allowed people to come but i think the biggest mistake they made was not um, i mean people were allowed to come into goa without any covid test you know so people were just sort of booking their flights and landing up not knowing whether they are positive or not and um so the minute they reached here because it was such a state of mind of it being a holiday and finally getting out of a city you know like where you're masked all the time and sanitizing everything so it was just one of those things where people were so carefree and not bothered about anything anymore like I don't want to wear a mask you know I don't want to sanitize I'm finally out of that nightmare and they thought it was over you know like I mean for them the nightmare was the bubble that they had in the city which they sort of escaped and came to go off for and um yeah, so, I mean, slowly, I mean, at the restaurant, like, I was dealing with at least 40, 45 new people every day. All my staff members were wearing masks. We were sanitizing regularly. I had a mask on constantly. Um, that made people feel safe. That ma- made me feel safe, you know, that at least my employees are safe. We are safe. We are trying to do the best we can and trying to try and, trying to run our operation the best way possible. Um, my restaurant is a reservations only restaurant. So we also sort of were able to manage the number of people we wanted to keep in the restaurant, you know, as opposed to just filling it up with um, as many people as can fit in. Um, We tried to maintain all the COVID norms and follow all protocol. And your staff did remain safe? Yes, my luckily so far, nobody has gotten COVID. Um, That's really good. Yeah. They're all, we we try to reduce our contact. We sort of, we've, we made a little bit of a system, you know. We tried to, we reduced our contact with the outside world. We sort of minimized our suppliers. We made a one-man contact uh, with the outside world. And, you know, so, I mean, that, that's what we were doing. We were trying to, because if you're running a restaurant, you cannot, I, I, I mean, honestly, after understanding how it spreads and what happens and all of those things, I'm not able to promise you that if you come to my restaurant, you will not get COVID, you know, because to be able to prevent that from happening, I my restaurant needs to be a laboratory, you know, it has to be um, sealed and nice. I have to follow all those rules, but like, I don't really know who my fish vendor met. I don't know who my vegetable guy met. I don't know who my cheese fellow met. So... I don't know, you know, but I am wearing a mask. I am sanitizing my hands. I am ensuring that my staff is doing the same. And um, that's the best we can do to sort of avoid the situation. Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, COVID has spread in hospitals. And, you know, you would think that, you know, they would be able to keep it as safe as anybody. But it's obviously, you know, uh, it's very contagious and it's very hard to stop it 
spreading when someone's COVID positive. So, yeah, I'm really glad that you haven't had to deal with that at least. Um, Susie, I know that um, Goa is really known for its beaches and when I've travelled there I spent a lot of time on the coast, but Asagao is inland. Can you set the scene for us? What is it like uh, where you are and what's the restaurant like? Oh, well, inland is a little bit of a tropical jungle. Um, Asagao is one of the posh villages in the area. So it's got all these really beautiful, huge, old Portuguese houses and villas um, with like swimming pools and a five bedroom villa, you know, they all these, it's it's basically a life, it's turned into a lifestyle village with um, yoga shalas and uh, healthy living eateries and stuff like that and like about few five six nice restaurants in the area so i have my restaurant which is just down a little um jungly lane in hidden in a little bit of a jungle canopy so it's we're a little hard to find but uh it's a cute little garden restaurant we can seat about 40 people mm. and what's the menu like oh we do we serve five course dinners and our menu changes every two weeks every two months so i i'm i'm constantly working on a new menu trying to be as seasonal as possible as local as possible uh, very experimental we are not focused on cuisine we focus on technique and um, yeah it's a lot of fun <laughs> Although the word the menu menu scares me sometimes when I'm almost needing to change a menu and it's just like oh no it's time it's not good but uh, yeah a constant project yes a constant project and what about now are you are you doing takeaway while you're in lockdown <laughs> well uh, my life hasn't changed much I'm working on a menu a delivery menu. <laughs> so yeah we don't have because my food was not delivery friendly I had to sort of now work on a menu which I could put in a box and send to people Uh, I'm working on that currently um, because even after the lockdown opens on the 24th I really don't see people coming out to eat for a while you know it's been quite traumatic and people are really taking it easy um, being careful about the whole thing Mm. Is there any dish that you know is going to be on the delivery menu? Anything that you've you've nailed so far? Well, I'll have some of my favorites from my menus at the rest from my menus at the restaurant that people like and look forward to when they come. So I haven't been able to remove those from the menu because my regulars ask for them. So I'm sort of converting those into a delivery friendly dish. Uh, how I could sort of pack it and send it. I have a maple and a kasundi mustard snapper, which is a favorite. And there's a paprika chicken, which people really enjoy. And uh, a few desserts. Mm, they they all sound really good. Um, do you, I know that you're really in the thick of it and it must be hard to see a way forward, but you, you say the lockdown is finishing on the 24th of May. Obviously things won't snap back to normal, but... Can you see a path forward? What do you think, you know, the rest of the year holds for India? Well, honestly, I think that as, I mean, Goa as a state, because it relies on tourism, we'll be busy again Um, because I don't see any Indian flying out of the country. I don't think anyone in the world wants any Indian in their country right now. Um, But, um, I yeah, I don't see much happening at least for the next two to three months. I 
people are going to be working remotely and as a restaurant owner i think i will also have to sort of start a delivery system and sort of you know go with the flow of things because uh even after the 24th i mean they've only locked down so that they can sort of curb the surge in the number of cases but will they have the vaccines will people be vaccinated will people suddenly start running around everywhere and you know i don't really know they they locked they announced this lockdown two days before they wanted to lock down and uh one of those days was a sunday so on saturday there was lines so long outside grocery stores and vegetable markets and things like that that even if you didn't have covid you would get covid you know i don't understand how the government functions like your basic daily requirements are open till 1 pm and um you need to inform your people of those things you need to let them know that it's okay you can step out in the morning and go by your daily requirements you know you don't have to sort of go and hoard and line up and do all those things but yeah it's just um, lack of communication and complete mismanagement well i have to say that <laughs> in australia where we also you know when we, when we've had lockdowns the sh- the food shops the you know the supermarkets have stayed open but we've had ho- ridiculous hoarding every single time and people lining up at the supermarkets as though they were you know never going to be allowed to purchase a you know a bag of flour or a, a bag of rice ever again so i don't know it's something very human that with this <laughs> i think yeah it's your natural human instinct you know like i don't know what to do i have a friend who bought so much pasta and then the other day he's like hey guys do you want some pasta <laughs> i have so much pasta <laughs> yeah Yeah. So I think in Australia people were like basically barricaded into the houses with toilet paper. Toilet paper was the one here that's ever just seemed to disappear from the shelves every time anything happened. <laughs> um you say Susie, you know, you don't think anyone in the world wants anyone from India right now and it, that's definitely been a conversation in Australia because we've made it illegal for Australian citizens to travel from India to Australia and uh, you know it's um i think it's really really unfair and really awful it's hard enough to get back here anyway um so i don't think it needed to be made illegal but there are 9000 australians in india um i mean do you have a perspective on that um this two sides to the situation i don't really know i mean because i'm in the middle of this pandemic and i can see how bad it is like it's your country is being cautious you know to sort of not to avoid getting that second strain which is so dangerous um but yes on the other hand like i don't think um they should ban people from entering you could do a 14 day quarantine maybe a three week quarantine you know to ensure that everything is okay set up a quarantine unit get people to come there and ensure everything is fine before you allow them to meet anybody or do anything but like a ban from entering your own country is a bit much yeah well we do have hotel quarantine and it's it's 14 days but I actually think it's not a bad idea to extend it a little bit because there have been some people who've come out of quarantine and then they still test positive so yeah but i think um yeah if someone if this is someone's home they definitely should be helped to come here especially because the situation is so terrible in india Yeah sure and i mean you know i mean in a time like this home is where you want to be and wherever that may be you know like you crave wanting wanting to go back home because home is a sort of comfortable space where you mentally and emotionally feel comfortable you know so um yeah i don't know why i mean i know i realize that they're trying to prevent 
um, the virus from getting there and um, saving the people from it. But uh, there's also their own people stuck here who should be allowed. Like, I mean, I get it. Like a quarantine is needed, but extend the quarantine a little bit, you know, ensure that they're not positive or they don't have any such virus before you let them out. Yeah. Susie, um, tell us, just set the scene for us. What's it like where you where you live at Asagao? Is it is it right in the jungle? Oh, well, it's quite jungly. I live in Siolim, which is a different village. My restaurant is in Asagao. Um, it's, well, it's not, uh, this, it's very jungly in the sense like the trees and things are beautiful. The houses are beautiful. There's little by lanes and there's little lanes. Um, it's quite a pretty little, it's inland, you know, it's like a little tropical jungle. And um, where I live in Siolim is a lot greener, is a slightly bigger jungle. I have a canal behind my house where I can go for a walk with my dogs. So it doesn't seem so, um, I mean, you don't feel so claustrophobic stuck in your house, you know, I'm able to get out in the evening, go for a walk, come back. So the lockdown doesn't feel so grilling but um, yeah it is quite beautiful there's all these birds i've started hearing these bird sounds i'm trying to learn the different bird names and their sounds and their calls uh i did the same thing in lockdown <laughs> i got like a, a bird app and started bird watching i think yeah there's never been so many backyard bird watchers than um than ever with this pandemic um, uh, Susie, it's really fantastic to have the opportunity to catch up with you and hear how things are. I I hope that things improve. I hope that the lockdown puts a check on things and that you can get back to feeding people in your lovely restaurant. Um, I really look forward to the day when I can get on a plane and come back to India. Yeah, I look forward to that, Danny. Thank you very much. It was nice talking to you. You take care. Thank you. You too. Ciao. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.